Good morning again. I just realized that I didn't have my right notes. I had the wrong notes on my iPad, so my wife went to go grab my notes. Uh, but this morning, you know, we are continuing in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this has been something that that you know we decided. Hey, you know, this year we're gonna just go through the the whole book of Luke, or or as much of it as we can. And uh, so week by week, piece by piece, we've been getting through that. And right now we are in the middle. Actually, we're, we're towards the end, I should say, of Luke 5. So we are going to be finishing that up. Well, let's pray. Seems like a good thing to do, huh? (laughs) Yes, Lord, we need you. (laughs) I need you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and for your mercy. And um, Lord, this morning I I ask for, um, Lord, I ask that that your spirit would guide me, that, that you would open all of our eyes, our ears, our hearts to your word. That as we read this together, that you would meet us, that you would speak to us fresh, that whether this is something that we have heard so many times, that we have read so many times before, or this is completely new, that you would speak to us. And Lord, it's my prayer that, that what you share with us, that that would not be something that we just store away, that we just make notes on and forget about, but that would be something that moves us, that pushes us, that that makes us pursue you. So Lord, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, Jesus is calling you right where you are. You're never too close, too far, too good, too sinful. He's always inviting you to come and follow him. Each and every day, we are all faced with these decisions, right? How are we going to respond to that invitation? And like I said, this year we're going through the Gospel of Luke, and we know that that this is, uh, you know, this is something that is written by by Luke, who is a doctor. He's a physician. He's a smart guy, and he's very intentional in the things that he writes and, and the stories that he brings forward. And all this is to share an account of who Jesus is, you know, what it means to be a Christian. And he's sharing this huge account of Jesus' life with this man, Theophilus, right? And so these are all the things that that Luke felt was, you know, these are important things to to share with this man, Theophilus. And we, we are blessed because we get to kind of uh, you know, drop in on that and, and to listen and read and, and hear what it is that Dr. Luke thought was so important about Jesus' life. And Luke was not someone that was there walking with Jesus, but he researched and he researched and he interviewed and, and he got all these different accounts and firsthand accounts of who Jesus was and, and, and what happened in his lifetime. And so to catch you up, we are now in this place where Jesus has, has uh, you know, made his way along the area, and he is now in the area of Galilee. And tomorrow, 
uh, Toby will be at the Sea of Galilee. So that's, you know, that's exciting. He will see these places firsthand. And we read in other parts of the Bible that about these Galileans, these uh, northern people of, of the Sea of Galilee, that you know they had maybe an accent, maybe that made people think, oh, they're not that bright, um, you know. And and so there was different comments that we read in different parts of the Bible about them, like, wow, I can't believe these Galileans are—they're actually kind of smart, or they're speaking like they're intelligent, or you know, these kind of things. But the reality is, is that this area, these people. They were very, very well learned in the area of, you know, what is, uh, you know, the scripture in the area of how they should live. You know, this was something that was very important. I, I kind of almost think of it as like, I mean, this is like the Bible belt of, uh, of you know, Judea, right? Like that in that whole area is like uh, that promise It's like, man, these guys are so dedicated, right? We know that that probably around five years old. For the men, they would start to, to learn scripture, right? Ten years old, they, they move on to, to being able to uh, memorize more of the Torah and learning how it applied to their lives. Fifteen, eighteen years old were also milestones where they began to, to work into what it means to interpret scripture, you know, for themselves. And, and then as they went on in life around 20, this is a time when they would begin their vocation. They would be doing, uh, you know, some type of trade, right? And, and in that time, if they were exceptional students, right, then by the time they're 30, after the 30, then they may be approved. They may be seen as people that they have authority to teach. But that was not common, right? So most people, they would would just remain in their vocation, and that's kind of as far as they got um, in this process. Usually there, there would be a rabbi, a teacher, that is tied to a synagogue like we have pastors, you know, tied to a local church, right, or assigned to a church. And that rabbi would teach from the little ones, you know, on up and be kind of in charge of their education, if you will. But there was also... Uh, kind of popular or, uh, you know, I guess you would say these famous rabbi that they would go around teaching and and they would be kind of, uh, you know, not uh, assigned or, or tied to a synagogue, but they would just go around and, and teach place to place. And they had a following. They had these uh, students of theirs, right? You know, I think of it, you know, in that time, this was something to be a, a rabbi, to be a teacher, to be even a student, you know, of a rabbi. That was something that was, like, really uh, respected. It was held high. It was something that was desired by everyone, especially in this area, because they were so, uh, you know, religious in that, that they were so, uh, it was so important for them to, to live godly lives, right? So I think of today, you know, maybe we wish on our children that, that they would be become like doctors or lawyers, um, you know, something like that, uh, CEOs, I don't, I don't know, whatever we want our children to be these days, right? And what does that take? It probably takes a good school, right? They, they probably have to go through the proper education. Right? And being uh, born and raised in Southern California, I know, you know, we're, we're split, right? Uh, you know, how many of you tend to side with UCLA? All right, 
ruins. How many of you go the other way, USC, Trojans? All right, so a few of you. How many of you really don't care? Oh, man. Okay. Make out Polly Pomona or something, right? So, um, yeah, but back then they didn't have that, right? They didn't have uh, UCI. They didn't have these, these uh, universities, right? But they did have these rabbis, and the rabbis have their, their, their Talmudim or their, like, disciples. And, uh, you know, just like if I said, you know, hey, I, my, my, the first college I went to was uh, Pasadena City College. And then, uh, you know, so if I remember when I was young and, and, you know, you get together with other students and what's the question? It's like, oh, where do you go to school? You know, I'd be like, oh, Pasadena City. I'm like, oh, I go to UCLA or I go to USC or I go to UCI. I'm like, oh, good for you, you know. Um, <laughs> but there's just something about that, right? And, and so there was something about this, too, that if, if you were a student of, like, one of these popular rabbis, it was like, wow, you know, wow, wow, that's, that's something big. That's important, right? But unlike our school system, these students or these disciples, their, their, you know, their desire or their goal was not to, to learn what their teachers knew and to show that, hey, I know what you know. But their goal was to actually become like their teacher that they would be like duplicates of their teacher. You know, like what would their rabbi do in this situation? What would their rabbi think? How would their rabbi walk and talk and carry themselves? They wanted to be just like that teacher. And so we see that in order to do that, the process was not that they would show up to class, you know, know, at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. or whatever, but they would live with them. They would follow them wherever they went. They would just be with them so that 24-7, they would be absorbing and learning how does this rabbi live? How do they think? When they encounter these situations, how do they respond, right? And that's how they learn. That was the system. And so now we see that a few weeks ago, we, we began to see the calling of the disciples. We saw these fishermen, these men that had been in their vocation, right? Maybe they were not cleared to keep going on, that they were like, hey, you guys are good fishermen. Keep doing that, right? And so they are these fishermen, and Jesus comes to them. And we remember we had this miraculous catch, right? And Jesus comes to them saying, hey, will you be my disciples? Come follow me. So although we see that and go, wow, that's crazy. They gave up their life of fishing, right? To them, that could have been totally different, right? I was thinking, you know, maybe it's like someone that is working at McDonald's. They're in the drive-thru, okay? No offense against anyone that works at McDonald's. My first job was Carl's Jr. I loved all, like, 30 days of it before I quit. But, you know, it was, um, it was a struggle, right? But I imagine, you know, someone that they have accepted, you know what, I didn't do very good in school. I'm just going to work here. And so I'm going to continue on, work my way up. And can you imagine someone being there, working the drive-thru, and then here comes uh, maybe an administrator at the school or something that says, hey, I want you to come to UCLA. You know, just do your best. You're going to get a degree. You're going to get a great job lined up for you. You know, all these things. 
You know, I don't think they would sit there thinking, oh, I don't know, I got a pretty good thing here. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure, you know. They would say, oh, all right, I'll leave everything, right? And so we see these people that, that they, they knew what it meant, and they, they saw that, wow, what Jesus is giving us, this is amazing. This is amazing, right? And so they give up everything, and they follow him. Today we're starting in Luke 5, verse 27, as you can see here, and Verse 27 and 28, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So Rabbi Jesus is going. He is getting his disciples. He's got to catch them all. He's having open enrollment. He's calling people to a place of honor to learn to be just like him. He called the fishermen, and now he comes, and he finds his next person, Levi. The first person we meet in the Bible with the name of Levi is a third son of Jacob. Jacob is one of the great forefathers of Jewish faith and, and, or the Jewish people, and out of Levi comes this priestly line of the Levites, right? That name Levi in the Hebrew means joined in harmony. And this person here, this Levi that we meet, we know that later on he becomes known as the disciple Matthew. Right? And Matthew means gift of God. Right? Remember that, because I think this is amazing, the, the gift that God gives him. These names, these new names, it's a powerful thing. Right? Remember when a few weeks ago we talked about the fishermen, we talked about Simon. Right? And Simon, uh, Simon whose name means listener, or I think the Greek uh, meaning of it is even, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's like flat-nosed, right? But so he's flat-nosed or he's listener, and he becomes Peter, the rock, right? And he wasn't there yet. I wouldn't call him the rock, but, but he, he comes into that name. And so later we see how, how both Peter and Matthew, they really come into that that place of their new names or, or this new identity as they walk with Christ. But but here, this man, Levi. Now, some people, they think, well, Levi, that was his, maybe a family name, or maybe that hinted that he was part of this line of, of Levites. Or maybe it was like his father, his grandfather. You know, we would think of, you know, maybe he's supposed to be a pastor like those before him or something like that, right? Others say, no, that's totally wrong. It was just a name, you know, and Levi was just a name that people had at that time. And, and whatever the case, his parents... When they gave him that name, they were hoping for good things for him, right? And nobody, nobody would, would grow up in that time thinking, man, I wish that someday when I get older, I'm going to be a tax collector, <laughs> right? Maybe not even in our society, right? Uh, nobody thinks, ah, I'm going to work at the IRS. I've met people that work at the IRS, nice people, uh, but... Maybe it's not one of those things that we grew up thinking about, right? I like to imagine, you know, maybe Levi had some bad breaks. Maybe he made some poor decisions. Maybe something happened in his life where he kept going away and found himself in this vocation, this place of being a tax collector, right? Nobody wishes to be a tax collector. It would be similar, maybe I try to imagine, to, you know, if my son or my daughter told me, hey, when I grow up, uh, I want to be someone that embezzles money from people's retirement funds, you know, or I, I want to be a heroin importer, 
or I want to be a hitman, or, you know, something you're just like, what? No, of course not. Those are terrible things to aspire to be, right? And, and tax collectors in that time, they were among the most hated people in that society, in that culture, and for good reason. They were seen as evil men, traitors to their own people. Now, that land was occupied by Rome, and so what happened was these tax collectors would bid for the right to, to have that area. So like this street, Red Hill, right, it would be like, you know, if, if I said, hey, I bet in a year I can get $75,000 in taxes charging people to come up and down Red Hill. And Neil, you know, Neil says, ah, I bet I could get 80000 And I counter, I said, oh, yeah, well, I bet I could get 85000 He's like, oh, that's too much. I'm going to go to MacArthur or somewhere else, right? And, and so they said, all right, Phil, you got it. You're going to give us 85000 And so anything more than that, I mean, it's all mine, right? So the reality is I could, I could charge more and more and more or whatever I felt with the backing of the Roman government. And maybe I take in, you know, 200000 in the year. Maybe I've taken 300000 but I pay them what I said I would pay them. They're happy. And everything else, that's, that's what I get, right? And so that's kind of what is happening here that these tax collectors, they were basically taking advantage of their own people for their own personal gain. And so they were wealthy, but they were despised. Let's read 27 again. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Do you know who make the greatest evangelists? New Christians. Right? People who experience the grace, the gift of God for the first time of their life. They are so excited. You know, I remember the first time I encountered the Holy Spirit, and I was just out of my mind, like, you know, just so excited, right? There was nothing that worried me, scared me, scared me. You know, I, re- I remember one of the guys that, that I've been mentoring, and he had a powerful encounter with God like that. He would tell anyone and everyone, you know, to the point of annoyance that they're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, you know. And he's like, you got to meet Jesus, you know. Everywhere he went, he was just so excited. That is Levi. He's in this place. He's despised. You know, I imagine he's, he's feeling, man, I, I got this, this vocation, this wealth, but I'm not happy. Everyone hates me. I'm stuck in this place. I imagine his, his family probably, you know, made distance between them. And yet Jesus comes and extends this amazing invitation to come and follow. And so we see he... He, no hesitancy, right? He just leaves it. And in that, I imagine in his joy, he has to tell everyone about that. And so what does he do? He throws a big party. He invites all his friends. Who are his friends? The only people that will associate with him, right? Other tax collectors, other sinners, outcasts, people that have been separated from society. They're all together. And so he has his party, he has his gathering, and it's in that place that we see again Pharisees, the teachers, these religious leaders in the area. And remember, these were not necessarily, these were people that 
The community loved and respected. They said, man, I want to be like them one day. They were the heroes of those towns, right? They were respected leaders. But we know that these are people that, that they miss it, right? They become so caught up in their own self-righteousness and the way that they behave and the way that they act, the way that they understand that they think they're better than others, that that blinds them to what's actually happened before them. So verse 30, it says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The religious leaders, the teachers, they're all watching these things happen and they're not happy, right? They're not happy. It's like if I was a UCLA grad and I had done the work and I had studied so many hours and had my parents yelling at me and, oh, you know, nothing better than an A is good enough, you know, and I was there and I graduated and then I see somebody else. I see someone that is maybe you know, on the street or just walking and I see someone say, hey, you want to go to UCLA? Come on, let's go. I would be offended. I would say, what? I work so hard and they just get me. And so these, these leaders, these, these teachers, they're saying, Jesus is just coming up to this man that no one wants to be like and he's giving him the invitation. He's saying, hey, come and be one of my followers. And so their mind is already made up, and they're just saying, man, what is going on with this Jesus? What is he doing? They don't even say it to Jesus. They say it to his disciples, right? But Jesus knows. He responds. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's starting to tell them, look, I'm here. I've come to bring forgiveness, to bring salvation to people. Who do you think needs that? Yeah, it's the sinners. It makes sense, right? But like we said, the Pharisees have already made up their mind. They've already passed judgment on him. And so they continue. They start to compare. And in verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, your disciples, yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And he starts to just come out with this truth that that it's all about him. He's like, hey, look, I'm here. This is what the celebration is about. The time is now. He compares it to a wedding, that when the groom is here, it's time to celebrate. It's time to party. It's time to be joyful, right? Nobody goes to a wedding and says, oh, everyone is celebrating, but I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be solemn. I'm going to just, you know... I don't want any of that cake. I'm fasting. I'm not going to do that, right? They don't do that because it's like, it's rude. It's like, why are you doing that? Why are you, what do they call it? They used to call it party pooper, right? It's like, oh, why, why are you doing that, right? 
There's many times in the Bible where we see people fasting, but there's only a handful of times when we're actually instructed to fast or commanded to fast. One of those is Yom Kippur, and, and you know, another one is like maybe mourning a death or if we're in desperate need of something. I know there's specific times when we would fast and pray, but a wedding is not one of them. Nobody goes to a wedding party fasting. And so in closing, Jesus, he, he speaks in another way. He shares with them a parable to, to add to this point. And he's told them, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. no. New wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking the old, wants the new, for they say the old is better. He lets them know that you guys are stuck in this old thinking. You guys are stuck holding on to the good old days, but you know what? It's a new era. I'm here now. I'm bringing something new. You guys like the stuff that I'm teaching, right? Maybe you like the miracles. You like certain things. You want to take a piece of that new that you like and you want to take it and patch up the places in the old that maybe you're lacking. But it doesn't work like that. You can't pick and choose what parts of me, of this new thing that God is doing that you like and reject the rest. He says, you know what that's like? That's like if you have these wineskins. They didn't have nice bottles, right? They had these skins that held wine, these wine skins. And what happens is in the fermentation process, it expands and the skins need to expand with that. And so he's saying, there's this new thing. Here I am. This is new thing. It's a new time. The kingdom of God is here, right? That new is here. You can't take that new and put it into the old. Why? It'll destroy it. It'll actually tear it apart and the wine will just leak out. And you'll lose it. You'll totally lose it. No, you have to have new wineskin to hold that new wine. You have to take it. You've got to go all the way, right? Jesus is calling. Wherever you are, he's calling you. That's the main thing I don't want you to miss. I don't want us to miss that whether you relate yourself to someone who is living what you might call a normal life, you're like those fishermen on the sea. You're doing your vocation. You're fulfilling your place in society. You're just doing your thing. Jesus is calling you to follow. If you feel like you're in a terrible place, that you think, hey, I'm stuck, whether it's outwardly known or it's something hidden inside, that I'm stuck in this life of sin, like Levi was stuck in this life as a tax collector. If you relate to him far from where you want to be, Jesus is calling you today. He's saying, come, follow me. Be my disciple. Or maybe you feel like, you know what? I've been good. My life, I've been good. I've done all the right things. I'm at church all the time. I know the Bible. I memorize the scripture. You're proud of that. That's a good thing. But maybe God is speaking to you today that maybe I've become kind of like the Pharisees. 
that I've been so caught up in the doing and the not doing and feeling like I'm better than that person or I'm better than that other person. Jesus is calling you too. There's that open invitation to everyone to come and follow me. So wherever you are, whoever you feel like you relate to, even on a day-to-day basis, because I believe it's daily, those decisions that we make, right? How are we going to respond to that call in our life? That when Jesus is calling us, are we willing to leave behind that thing in order to follow him? If we're stuck in sin like Levi, are we willing, are we able to leave that behind and follow him? Because what he has is so much better for us, right? All right, this week, your weekly challenge. Our vision here is to know, to grow, and to overflow, right? And so know, we want to read Luke 5. Read the whole chapter. Uh, Revisit that. Examine the people that Jesus called. Who do you relate to the most? You know, maybe that's something that it changes day to day, right? But remember that and think about that. Who do you relate to the most? Uh, Grow. How do you think Jesus is calling you to follow him? You know, that's a daily prayer. How do you think Jesus is calling you to follow him? What do you think you need to give up or leave behind in order to follow him? Remember the the patches, the wineskin, you know, that's something. It's not like bits and pieces. It's like we've got to go all in. And then overflow. Start with yourself, then be a blessing to others. We can only overflow when we're filled up ourselves, right? So ask yourself if there's anyone you're judgmental towards. Is there anybody that I'm thinking, man, I'm better than them. I'm glad I'm not as bad as that person. Whatever it is, remember that God has shown you great grace. How should you show grace to others? Live that out this week, you know? Live that out. Today we have uh, the, the blessing of, of remembering corporately, remembering together what Christ has done for us. That as he explained to them then, hey, the bridegroom is here. It's time to celebrate, right? There's a time when Jesus was going away, right? And us being there as, as we are waiting for the Lord to return again, then we've been instructed to remember what he's done for us. And we do that in the taking of communion together. In Matthew 26, it's not up here so you can listen to it, but in Matthew 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So here at Orange Coast, uh, and team, you guys can come up, but at Orange Coast, we practice uh, what's called an open communion, meaning communion is open to all. It's open to every person that is a believer, that is a follower of Christ, Uh, Because what we do here, this remembrance, it's significant, right? You can't remember something that never happened. So, uh, you know, if you are a believer, then we remember what Christ has done for us, the way that he sacrificed for us, the way that he extended that gift of grace to us. 
And we take a moment to reflect upon that. So what I'm going to ask you to do is that if you'd like to participate, uh, you know, we'll make one line down the middle, and Pastor and Jenny and I will, will serve you, and then you could return back to your seat going, you know, back along the outside rows. Um, and, you know, you can take those elements back to your seat. You can take them right away. It's, it's really up to you. But please, whatever you do, you know, take a moment uh, to really just stop and, and to think, to consider, you know, what has God done for you? What has he done for you? What has he given you? What is his gift of grace? So let's pray. Lord God, Father, we thank you for, for who you are. Lord, I always thank you for your faithfulness because you are the same yesterday, t today, always. You are so faithful, not in, in just how you interact with us, but in who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are love, that you showed us what it means to truly love that while we were still sinners, you died for us. While we were enemies even, you died for us. You showed us that ultimate love. And because of that, we cannot help but respond to your goodness. We cannot help but respond to your grace. We cannot help but be moved by your heart and by your love for us. So Lord, we gather together as one church, as one family, and we come before you and we say, Lord, we need you. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we love you. Lord, we pray that, that every sound, that every thought, that every action that comes comes in this time that that would be pleasing to you that would that would be a blessing to your heart we thank you jesus in your name we pray amen let's pray together god we do we praise your name we thank you for your incredible goodness god that we have celebrated today in communion, in song, in prayer, in hearing your word. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for what you have done for humanity in Jesus. God, we, we worship you today. And I pray for us all this week. May we go in the grace and mercy of God. May you know his presence with you all through whatever this week brings. May you know that God is for you, that God loves you, that God knows you. And may you walk with him and follow him. May you and I be people who overflow with his love to the people we encounter this week at work, at school, in our families. May God bless you and keep you. And may you experience richly his presence with you this week. May God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for being here worshiping together. And please enjoy the fellowship time. Get to know some new people. Get to connect with old friends as well. And again, God bless you.